calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back. It's Ron Remkes here. And uh, today I'm joined by Professor uh, Luigi Zingales from the University of Chicago, who's a professor, professor of finance and entrepreneurship. Uh, professor, uh, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Okay. So uh, could you just start and orient our audience a little bit and just give us a little bit about your role at the University of Chicago and uh, what your research interests are? Sure. Um, traditionally, I'm in finance, so in particular, I was interested in corporate finance. And uh, I study a lot uh, corporate governance, uh, control issue, and uh, stuff like that. Right. Uh, but um, over the years, my uh, interests uh, have broadened, and uh, in particular, I'm very interested in not only in the financial system overall, but in the economic system overall. And uh, what uh, we like to call, for lack of a better no uh, name, capitalism, and uh, what um, works and what doesn't in the system. And in particular, uh, trying to see what can be done to fix the part that doesn't work. So you've been uh, pretty vocal about some of the parts that, that don't work. Could you sort of outline what you see as some of the essential problems? Yeah, I think that uh, it's very simple. Uh, once you have the proper rules in place, um, I think capitalists work very well. Uh, the problem is who sets the rules. It's a bit like uh, in, in a game. Um, the game works well if the rules are in place, but uh, who gets to decide the rules? And uh, in any game, we'd be shocked if we thought that uh, the most powerful player would design the rules to his or own advantage. And I think that that's what uh, unfortunately happens too frequently in the capitalist system. So I think that that is the kind of distortion I'm concerned about. Well, let's start off with the, sort of the big picture. So uh, if, if you look at what's going on politically in the last uh, few years, uh, you see this wave of populism that sort of swept uh, some of the developed world, uh, notably in the U.S. with uh, the rise of Trump and in uh, the U.K. with Brexit. Um, what do you think... Um, uh, what's driving this phenomenon, and, and what do you think is, that might lead to in terms of the economy? I think that uh, this is a highly predictable outcome of a situation that was not desirable. And, and I'm not talking with the, only with the benefit of the hindsight. In my 2012 book, Capitalism for the People, I say populism is inevitable, and the question is which form will take. I think that uh, there is a system that, particularly in the West, has not delivered for the majority of the people. I think that uh, um, wealth has gone up on average, but uh, most of this wealth, uh, most of the increase uh, was enjoyed only by, by few. And uh, there is a perception that very often is also a reality of a political system that is corrupt and that works uh, for the few and not for the many. And those are the ideal situation for populists to arise. And the question uh, which uh, I pose in my book uh, uh, six years ago, but uh, it's still a very important question today, is what form uh, will it take? And, uh, and so far, um, has taken more an anti, 
uh, establishment form, but is not really expressed into anything substantive to change the system. And what role do you think monetary policy may or may not have played in uh, terms of driving the concentrations of wealth that you're talking about? I think that uh, it's probably been uh, relatively small. Uh, I think that uh, the, there was a major financial crisis 10 years ago uh, that, um, in my view, was not uh, mostly driven by monetary policy, was driven by other factors. And in trying to address some of the consequences, monetary policy has been uh, very uh, loose. And, uh, and this has clearly benefited more uh, the, the rich, if you want to use a, a term, than the, uh, the average Joe. Um, I think that there's been more the lack of fiscal policy or more the lack of other policies to compensate rather than, uh, the, uh, I don't think that the, the monetary policy is the main culprit. Uh, James Grant has this uh, wonderful quote, um, capitalism is a wonderful alternative to what we have now. Uh, and obviously, you know, nothing's perfect. There's no nirvana and no human system can uh, solve every problem. Um, but one of the reasons I like the quote is because it sort of captures the essence that the advanced economies have already moved a substantial way from what you would consider completely free markets. So, you know, where do you, where do you feel we are on that pendulum? Do you agree with Grant? Do you disagree with Grant? You know, do you have a, an opinion on that? I think that uh, I strongly agree if what he means is that uh, there is not enough of competitive capitalists, that competition has gone down and... Uh, the rules of the games have been corrupted and, and there is too much, uh, if you want, collusion and, and lack of competition. I sign 100%. If uh, what, what uh, he means is um, that he wants to go back to a pure laissez-faire, I think that uh, a laissez-faire ends up being more like the jungle rather than uh, a, a true uh, capitalist system. I think that every... Every game to function properly, from the game of soccer to the game of golf, needs to have some clear rules right. uh, to, to make the game uh, worth, uh, worth playing. And I think that uh, capitalism is no different than that. Um, and, uh, and so I think that uh, the, the myth of uh, a completely uh, free-from-rule uh, system is a myth, and, uh, and actually, to some extent, a dangerous myth. And uh, I think that uh, the reality is uh, we need a system with more competition. Okay, so let's turn now to sort of the micro. Um, mm -hmm. You uh, had an interview not long ago where you talked about the, the prospect of Mark Zuckerberg running for president and the uh, interesting set of challenges that that might play, uh, meaning that here he is, you know, the head of uh, a major social media organization marrying a lot of uh, business power and uh, economic power with political power. Uh, what are your views on that, and, and what do you think the risks are? So I, I espouse very much uh, the old principle that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. I think that this is uh, uh, one of the principles in which uh, uh, the United States of America uh, was founded on, and I think it's important to maintain it. And uh, so um, having come from a country where a media mogul be, became prime minister, I see, uh, I learned that the, the, the damages that this can create. And of course, uh, there was an old media mogul with much less power than uh, when Facebook uh, has today and will have in the future. So I think that I am worried about uh, uh, not only market concentration, but concentration 
of data ownership and uh, in general concentration of power. And uh, I think that uh, social media today have an enormous power, uh, much larger than what newspapers used to have. And if you marry that with, with the power of the presidency, that can be pretty scary. So if you think back um, to when uh, AT&T was broken up, they broke it up, I think... Um, 84. Yeah, uh, how many Bell companies were there? I can't recall. Yeah. Like a dozen or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, they, it, was, it was possible to break them up because you could break them up along regional lines, right? But in, in a social media world that hadn't been invented back in 84... Um, you know, if I'm on Facebook, I want to be there with all of my friends, not 5% or 10% or whatever it would be. Um, so is there any realistic way you could constrain that from a regulatory standpoint? Um, yes, I think there are a lot of ways that don't necessarily include breakup. Uh, so first of all, I understand uh, your logic, but uh, there is no strong logic why WhatsApp should be with Facebook. Uh, they can be separate uh, uh, social media owned by separate people, and they used to be owned separately, right. and uh, and they merged. So I think that uh, one strategy is to pre, uh, prevent this kind of mergers. But also, uh, what uh, we might underestimate is uh, that uh, a lot of rules in place makes switching from social media um, to other social media more difficult. Uh, so, for example. Um, there used to be a, a little startup called Power Ventures that was allowing you to manage multiple social media at the same time. So I would give uh, the password uh, and login of all my social media to Power Venture. Power Venture will basically intermediate between me and, and all those. So if, if I post a picture on Power Media on uh, Power Ventures, they would post it on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and uh, contemporaneously. Yeah. So that's a way in which I can be in multiple social media at the same time. Now, uh, this venture has been fought very aggressively uh, by Facebook because they would disintermediate Facebook and eventually uh, lost uh, in the court of law uh, because they were able to interpret the, the, uh, their action as hacking. Um, now, the fact that I voluntarily give you my password and login and you get data uh, with my permission, I don't call it hacking, but somehow, uh, the law of the land today is that that's considered hacking. Right. Um, so let, let's shift once more uh, to this notion of uh, shareholder value. This is something that you've also talked about. Um, and here we are at the University of Chicago where, you know, famously Milton Friedman uh, talked about the only thing companies should care about is, is uh, profits and shareholder value. And you sort of take issue with that. Um, can you sort of expound on, on your approach and um, you know, to what extent uh, companies should be involved in multiple goals outside of shareholder value. Absolutely. Uh, so the first important thing is many people have quarreled with uh, Milton Friedman, but they've quarreled, I think, from a perspective in which they're saying, we think that uh, you should care about other constituency outside of shareholders. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Difference is we start from his premise. You might agree or not agree, but I think he's an important premise. So we start with his premise that you should care about what shareholders want. But also recognize something that uh, Milton Friedman recognizes, but somehow is able to dismiss it, that people, and shareholders are people, uh, care about things other than money. And says money is important, but uh, the fact that uh, 
I teach at the university rather than being uh, in business suggests that uh, I care about things other than money because in business you make more money than the university. So I think that uh, um, it, many, many people, not everybody, but many people care about other things. And then the question is, if people care about other things, uh, how this other consideration should be reflected in the way a company is run? So if I am an entrepreneur and uh, I own 100% of my company, uh, and I really care about uh, uh, the environment, I might make choices that are not necessarily profit-maximizing, but are utility-maximizing. They please me. I care about the environment. Now, imagine the two of us are shareholders. We own 50-50, and uh, we might disagree, but um, you look like a nice guy. You probably care about the environment, too. So at the end of the day, we are willing, we agree that we are willing to take a little bit less profits but we don't want to pollute uh, the Chicago River where we live in or, or the air or so on and so forth, okay? Now, why when this from two goes to a hundred, a thousand, a million shareholders is lost? So Milton Friedman basically say, you don't have to care about the social objectives because it's best for the company to maximize profits, distribute the profits, and then with the money that you get from those profits, care about your social objective. And Milton Friedman is absolutely right in the example he uses. He used the example of corporate donation. And uh, whether you donate at the corporate level or you distribute the profits and individuals donate at an individual level, it doesn't make a difference in terms of efficiency. And in fact, it's strictly preferable to actually distribute, maximize profits and distribute the profits because each shareholder can pursue his own charity rather than having the charity uh, decided by the corporate board. Right. However, when it comes to social objective where it is more efficient to do some things at the company level than the individual level, this separation uh, that Friedman advocates does not hold anymore. Okay? Uh, so imagine... I say pollution. Uh, it's much more expensive to uh, try to undo the pollution done by your oil company than trying to fix the pollution to begin with. Okay? So now there are reasons why this thing can be done at the corporate level. And the question is, how much we do it? And, uh, and our answer is very simple. Why don't you ask your shareholders? Uh, if the two of us are uh, the owner of a company, we sit down and try to negotiate what uh, makes us happy. Now, I understand it's more difficult in larger companies, uh, but that's not an excuse for completely ignoring. It's just the current situation is we do zero uh, for everybody. Uh, it's hardly the case that this is the optimal. So uh, I think that uh, our, our mantra is you should uh, try to maximize uh, the welfare of your shareholders, not just their uh, money. Given the vast uh, disagreement that uh, people have politically on a variety of um, hot-button issues. Um, do you think that the you know, corporate boardrooms uh, would end up becoming politicized and you'd end up, you know, the whole company cultures would you know, basically choose sides in these political battles? But actually, our uh, proposal is to do exactly the opposite. Our proposal is to 
delegate these charges to the shareholders, not to politicize boards. Okay. Uh, is uh, if uh, today boards are very politicized because boards do take positions. We know a lot of companies, for example, they took position in favor of gay rights. Uh, or uh, they took position in favor of uh, reducing CO2 emission. Yeah. And uh, all these are very laudable goals, but who gave them that mandate? Uh, they woke up in the morning and decided that was the right thing to do. Uh, we think this should be decided by shareholders, not by, uh, by the board member because uh, they are enamored of a particular idea. Right. Uh, well, uh, Luigi, I could sit here and talk with you all day, but I'm sorry that's all we have time for. So thank you all for uh, joining us, and be sure to uh, follow all of our content uh, online at cfainstitute.org and Enterprising Investor. Have a good day. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.